You see, people collect all kinds of things. New, old, priceless, worthless. Darling, it doesn't matter what. I simply must know why. Those mothballs shouldn't get to keep all the secrets. This is the Mothball Prophecies. Hello and welcome to the Mothball Prophecies. I'm Samantha Mashburn. And I'm Jill Huffman. Today we're sitting down with someone whose reason for collecting caused both Jill and I to stop in our tracks. And it's one of the most beautiful sentiments I think I have heard since we started the show. She is a collector and lover of vintage textiles and patterns. She lives in a delightfully bright home in sunny California. Please welcome to the show, Lula of Hollywood, Christina Marcello. Hi. Hey ladies, I'm so welcome. thrilled to be here. We're oh, so, thank we're you. Thank so you for having excited. Me. Mm-hmm. Very, very excited. We met for the first time when we were in Los Angeles and it was fantastic. Yes. And um, we've interacted on social media. You've bought some great things from us. And so I was very excited to figure out a way to get you on the show. <laughs> and then when you sent this response to, I can't remember what I asked her, who got you into collecting? Or what was your reason for collecting? What was your reason? Yeah. The response you sent to me really stopped me and I was just like, wow, will you share that? What you shared with me that day? Yeah. So, um, obviously we follow each other on Instagram and you guys posted one of those little, um, questions that, you know, followers could just tap a little short response into. And it was, what was your reason for collecting? And, um, mine is something I've actually sat with for a long time through the years of like, why, why do I do this? You know, there are, um, people who collect people who don't collect or don't think they collect, um, and I do it sort of, uh, sort of obsessively, um, as I'm sure you can relate to. And, and what I've been able to figure out, um, at least about my own personal journey is that, you know, having immigrated here from Romania and not growing up with grandparents, not growing up with heirlooms, um, just not having like material things from the past, mm. um, in my own family, I just kind of started like a magpie, right. Grabbing, um, any I could find from thrift stores, from antique malls, from other people's grandparents, uh, neighbors that, you know, just the things that people discard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were, you had said you were collecting other people's histories that had kind of given it up. And I was just like, that is that that's the perfect reason to collect. That's the per- like to itemize somebody else's history and give it a loving home and not yeah, knowing lost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You see these um, these listings on eBay sometimes. I used to collect uh, like old photos, sometimes even earlier, like daguerreotypes, ambrotypes. Um, and a lot of people will, in the title, call them instant ancestors. I'm sure you've seen this. I have never uh, seen that. Yeah. Look up instant ancestors on eBay and there's tons of listings of just, you know, like Civil wow. War era um, photographs. Oh my gosh. On your wall, who are these people? Yeah. <laughs> I love that so much. Mm -hmm. And I really, I really related to that when I, when I first, you know, when that came up in a search, I'd never seen it before. And I'm like, oh, I don't have any photos of my ancestors. I don't know what they look like, Yeah, but I could put someone's up. I love that. I, I bought some vintage uh, antique uh, solar projection photographs this year for that reason of like, this was somebody's family. Well, yeah, yeah, my husband had rescued a, um, it's a velvet album mm. of like vintage antique, um, pictures from like the 1910s, 1920s. Mm-hmm. And wow. we just, we, I don't know what to do with it, but I've held on to it because I don't want to like just give it away to mm-hmm. somebody. 
Yeah, it's it's a little bit um it's tricky with albums, right? Because they're just they're closed, they're stored. Um maybe yeah. you can take photos out and frame them. Yeah. Yeah, I've thought about that a couple of times. We could too. turn them into little cards for the show. Oh, that's, that's a good idea. idea. So let's talk about that specifically of because me not being an immigrant, I have never thought of that, of having to flee an area, right? And not be able to take your things with you. What yeah. I'm I am not uh, hyper familiar with it, right? With uh, coming over here as political refugees. What- yeah, so uh, it's, I mean, I've, I've heard that story. I mean, I grew up in LA or just outside of LA in a little suburb. So there's a lot of immigrants here. And um, for whatever reason, you know, whether it's war or, um, you know, in my case, communism, you couldn't take anything of value out of the country. People had to leave with the clothes on their backs and literally uh, for my family, two suitcases um, and weren't able to take, you know, anything that really um, cost money that had any monetary value. And so my mom left her jewelry, um, any heirlooms, you know, mm. not that we had many because my, my family were uh, farmers and, uh, you know, textile workers. And, mm. you know, you didn't really have like precious, precious things, but the things that were precious were of sentimental value and those right. couldn't come either. Wow. I, that is so tragic to, to have that as a, a part of your familial history. I don't know uh, that I've ever been conscious of that. And that's shitty. Yeah. 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 And I never really, like, I didn't really grow up thinking about it either. Mm-hmm. You know, we moved here. This was our new life. My parents never, you know, very rarely talked about the old country, um, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that. But um, yeah, it, that, and that's true for a lot of immigrants. You know, you just, you start over. It's a fresh start. It's uh, the timeline kind of changes. Did your parents get to pick where they went in the United States? So we had, um, my mother had a sister who had already moved here and she sponsored us. So you had to have a sponsor to sort of, um, prove to the government that you weren't going to become like a government charge. Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, uh, we applied to several places. I think we applied here. We applied to Australia maybe. And, um, I think Canada as well. And it was, you know, whoever is taking, um, immigrants mm-hmm. at that time, you know, like lines open up and that that's sort of where we ended up. And she was here, um, in Southern California in this little, um, working class suburb just outside of LA, uh, called Downey, California. I don't know if you guys know it, but, uh, it's claimed to fame as having the oldest operating McDonald's. Um, <laughs> Cute. and so it was, it was really there that I sort of, um, the, the sorts of things that I would end up collecting, I started seeing. So like this mid-century, it, um, aesthetic. The city was incorporated in, in 1956. Oh. Um, before that, it was um, a wartime manufacturing hub, and so you know a lot of a lot of what I found in thrift stores were from the original um, residents of wow. of that place. And so you know it was the really cool Pyrex. It was 50s and 60s clothing. Um, that's yeah, very that's cool the sort of thing that I grew up with. And you were little, right? When you came over to the United States, were you three or four? I turned four here. Okay. Do you so got here? I think in the fall, and I turned four uh, that December. Do you do you remember noticing a difference in America versus Romania when you came here? Or were you too little? So here's what here's what I think I remember is I don't not visually no, but I think what what the memories that I have from Romania were because I was so young, uh, my parents preparing me for the move. Right. So, you know, 
they would promise different things, like there'll be cartoons, this and that. Um, And it was true. Like in Romania, we had a couple hours of state-sponsored TV and and we get here and I could see like, you know, Looney Tunes or, um, you know, Mickey Mouse every day. And I remember like saying to my mom, like they came back because I was good, right? Like again and again and again, because I, I, I didn't, that would just, just wasn't something that was available. Right. And to have it like happen day after day was really magical. And I thought it was because I was behaving myself. <laughs> Your mom's just going along with it. Like, like yes, yes, because you're very good. They <laughs> keep coming back. You were yeah, it's pretty convenient, I think. <laughs> that was, do your parents ever speak about that difference of coming here? Or did they just, they were like, we're just going to get in lockstep. And No, not really. Yeah. 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 We well, spoke about it a little bit before we started recording. And I will ask my grandmother these questions right about her family and be like well did you guys do traditions or did you have this or did you have that and she's just like almost like when I ask her the question she's like why are you asking me this of course we didn't do that and I'm like I don't know it seems like it's a like a logical question sorry. to ask didn't mean to yeah. didn't mean to have you had other family from Romania come here also since you guys immigrated not since we did I had the aunt um that was here first um who had uh three kids about I don't know, 10 or 15 years older than me. Mm. Um, so, you know, she was nearby, but it wasn't like, we weren't the same age. We didn't really grow up together. Yeah. Um, I think they were in either high school or college by the time that I got here. And yeah. I mean, that age to little kid is like, might as well be a million years difference. Oh, yeah. Really? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're just like, I don't have anything in common with that child. That's how I can only say this because I have a 16 year old brother who like, and I okay. have an almost four year old. <laughs> so it's kind of like when they interact, my brother's just like, I trying to like joke with him and I'm like he doesn't he just wants you to like, like wrestle yeah I know my daughter's the same way when we go over to my friend's house and she has a um a three-year-old and um nine mm-hmm. and she's just like I just I just like stay home I'm like no mm-hmm. we're going over you and your brother are gonna play nice mm-hmm. get off your phones mm-hmm. make fun yeah like <laughs> just get, easy 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 yeah. audience so when you guys were here and you were setting up your home, you had mentioned too that like your mom isn't really a collector of things. So what started, like when you started collecting things, how old were you? I would say that I was 15. Um, and I and I say 15 because I remember as freshman year of high school is when um, I found her vintage clothes from the 70s. And there weren't many of them. There were, I don't know, maybe like a handful of pieces, five to 10 pieces, mm-hmm. uh, tops, uh, these really cool knit sweaters, um, those kind of like seventies does thirties kind of dresses in that shape. Really Mm -hmm. fantastic. Um, and she was tiny. So by the time that I was in ninth grade, I could fit the clothes. Um, and she had just packed them away for, you know, that entire time as, you know, 10 years, 11 years since we'd gotten there, finally took them out. I think she was cleaning the closet or something, uh, pretty banal. Like, I don't, I don't know why she had them packed away or why she was taking them out when she did. Um, but I found them and she was, I think pretty surprised that I had any interest in them whatsoever because, um, you know, they were old clothes. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I wasn't shopping for vintage. I wasn't collecting vintage at the time. I was a freshman in high school. I hadn't discovered the thrift stores in town, but once I did, and once I started wearing her clothes, um, I figured out where I could get more and, uh, and it, that, that started a long blossom from there <laughs> and an ongoing obsession. Yeah. That yeah. continues to this day. Well, and at that time too, I'm sure thrifting for vintage clothes was a lot easier than it is nowadays. Right. Like the good stuff yep. barely lasts. That was 20 years ago. I'm, I'm <laughs> myself here, but um, yeah, that was, and like I said, the original inhabitants of 
our little suburb, you know, were starting to either die off or their, you know, their stuff was being packed away and donated um, for whatever reason. And the thrift stores were just a treasure trove, you know, like every, every trip you would find something amazing. And that's not really the case anymore. And especially, yeah, with like the Goodwill does good things. I'm going to say that very loosely, but at the end of the day, it's pretty predatory and with removing good things from the stores to further extend their profits from. Yeah. I mean, I mean, now you can just look up anything that's donated and see what it's worth, what it's sold for and Mm -hmm. list it for that. Yeah. Like the days of, of just happening upon these things in thrift stores are kind of they're behind us, unfortunately. Well, and I, like you, you know, I also fell in love with the mid-century, right? Really, at, uh, the th- the 30s through the 60s is really where I started to, like, find my footing in the world of vintage. And I think it's because, like, my grandmother has, like, French provincial and, like, grandma antiques, right? China and porcelain and crystal. And I was just like, this is so boring. And then, you know, I lived in a very small town and like my first iteration into the fifties was pinup girls and like big band swing and Etta James and Billie Holiday. And I was like, okay, I got to eat all of this up. And that's, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's okay. Zoom, zoom talk. But that was where it started for me. And then I knew I was going to be a hairdresser. And that was where my hairstyling began was like figuring out old sets on my hair to do that. Do you think you became a hairdresser because of the cool hairstyles that you saw? I would say that's a huge part of it. Yeah. I, I've always been artistic and creative and I knew I d- did not want to do traditional college. Um, I also didn't want to have a boss. So I was like, how do I make this work? And right. I loved, I loved to do hairstyling. I still love to do hairstyling and vintage hairstyling is, will always have my heart, but that's what started it for me. And I loved how sculptural it was to, mm-hmm. you know, fit the whole outfit head to toe to have, the hair start and look like its own masterpiece and then move through it. And that's what made me first fall in love with that era was the, that level of sophistication that existed throughout an entire house and somebody's look. Absolutely. Was what did it for me first. I think the, the way that it started for me, and again, this is like completely just me going back and thinking about it psychologically is that, you know, my parents had prepared me for this move. We were going to move to America. It was going to be a new life. And then the things that I started seeing around me um, were things that my mind registered as new and somehow better uh-huh. than, than what we had before. So even though, you know, they were pretty, I guess, dated at the time, like these 50s buildings, these 60s. Uh, diners, the clothes I would find, um, even our, you know, our first set of furniture was all secondhand uh, mm-hmm. from the seventies. And I'll tell you more about those pieces if you'd like. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's what I thought of as new. Mm-hmm. And so it really impressed on me and, and it, you know, I wonder I still think about it. <laughs> now that you actually bring that up, I was like, is that why I was so fascinated with it? Because it didn't exist in my ether. Maybe we had tons of secondhand stuff. Yeah. That novelty of, and then, you know, as you're starting to create your own persona, right. is really what it is when you're a teenager. Well, especially from a small town, like here in this area. Well, even when I, cause I'm a military brat. When I came here, I was like, you guys have nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you live? Like, there's nothing here. It's almost like you have to invent yourself in these small Mm -hmm. towns. Yeah. And I would, I mean, I, I grew up in a small suburb. We were maybe 20 minutes outside of downtown LA, but it was a completely different. Might be a whole like, other world. 
Yeah, it was yeah. it was just working class suburb um, at the time, at least. You know, nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you you did have to go around and sort of find find your own fun and find your own personality and sort of cobble it together from scratch. Mm-hmm. And like I, you know, we didn't have a ton of money growing up, so it's not like I could follow the trends that my friends and classmates were doing. There was no yeah. way. There was yeah, no same way. Same here. I remember reading um, when I was in high school a biography of Courtney Love, where she said, you know, when I didn't have any money, I did thrift stores and I knew exactly what to buy and I knew exactly how to put myself together. And then I got money and I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah really? Because then you're like, like, if I if I won the lottery tomorrow, I'd probably just buy myself more vintage mm-hmm. and, and more expensive vintage than I'm able to now. But I wouldn't know what to do with like designer clothes. No. no, 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 or even just the opportunity to be like, here's a complete matching dishware set or like pots and pans or, I well, I have a friend and she is very into Louis Vuitton and she had been saving her money and like, cause that's what she wanted. So we went to a Louis Vuitton store and I was just like, I had my hands like tucked in, in your and I didn't move anywhere. Cause I was just like, and the sales lady, she was so very sweet. And I was like, oh, that one is very pretty. And she's like, you want to try it on? And I'm like, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to get it dirty. She's like, oh, no, that's what they're for. Oh, she's like throwing purses at us left and right. And I was just like, I don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, so bizarre to me. Yeah. That happened when the first time I went to Rodeo Drive. I was with a friend and this gentleman that had lots of money and we were kind of going in and out of these stores and I was just like, I have this like sim jewel above my head that everybody knows I am an imposter. Yes, it feels like everybody looks at you and be like, oh, you can't afford this. It's like a pretty, pretty woman moment. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was, yeah, it was interesting because it was, you know, we walked into one store and then the, we, was it Prada that we walked into? was Prada or Fendi. We walked in and they just had bottles of water and stuff like ready for us as we walked in. And I was like, I don't, is this expensive water? Oh yeah. I've gone into places like that where there's like champagne. Like, I'll just, you know, I get it. It's there to loosen you up to spend money. I know. And I'm always like, I I don't plan to buy anything. So you do not (laughs) have to give me anything. Mm -hmm. I'm just here for support. Well, and I do, so I have this sickness where if I see something, whether it is a piece of clothing a craft, literally anything in the wild, my brain instantly goes, oh, I can make that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can just. And you, <laughs> so you now collect tons of vintage fabric and patterns, right? I do. I do. Yeah. She gets it. She gets it. Totally I do. And I, like I said, I listened to your, um, your interview with Josie just before, mm. uh, just before planning mine. And I wonder now, I, I, I wonder how many of the people like in my sphere and in yours probably I've been bidding against right mm-hmm. on a, on eBay or, you know, snatching things up on Etsy. Cause mm-hmm. there's a lot more of that now of, of people just trying to um, mend and make do since we're so much more aware of what fast fashion is doing to mm-hmm. the planet of what it's doing to, to people in other countries with sweatshops. Um, you know, there wasn't really an awareness of that before the internet. No. And yeah, it's uh, really unfortunate, you know, because it's this dichotomy, right, of fast fashion is bad, but it also links to privilege and like what somebody can afford and what they can't afford. And the option always was like thrifting and secondhand. And now it's followed that capitalist projection of people now going in and stripping thrift stores of 
valuable items or even just not even always step it back valuable because they know they're valuable but to somebody who could never afford the full price item life changing oh mood changing absolutely and it's because we used to go into thrift stores and just like it would be the thrill of the hunt because if you found a piece that Mm -hmm. you've been looking for you got so excited Mm -hmm. now it's just you go in there and you hope yeah you can find something that you kind of wanted because Mm -hmm. you know it's not going to be there yeah. yeah. Like I used yeah. to be able to find Pyrex all the time at the thrift stores. And now mm-hmm. it's like people are at the door mm-hmm. before, like there's a line to go in before the doors even open. And it's like, I'm not even going to take, mm-hmm. I'm not going to yeah. waste my time. And if it's there, it'll be priced, you know, retail based on what. Yeah. Because they know they'll get it because mm-hmm. somebody will be like, Oh, I'm going to mm-hmm. buy that. And then try to sell it for three times as much. Well, it's, it really is the gentrification of the thrift store, right? The thrift store's necessity from the yeah. time it started was to help people who could not buy essential items for quality life, right? Housewares, clothing, all of those things. And now, you know, it's turned into this this trendy thing to do, right? Is to go thrifting and buy secondhand. And it's so... And then flip them. Cool. And, you know, yeah. and it's like, let's not forget w- why it started. And that some people still rely heavily on the services of secondhand. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I, that's our whole reason when we do our sales, Mm -hmm. we're really not looking to make any money out of it. Mm -mm. We just want to make sure it goes to a good home because we know somebody would have grabbed that and then try to sell it for way more than what it's actually worth. Mm -hmm. And then somebody falling for that and being like, Oh, I got this for like this price. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you could have gotten that for way cheaper somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, and there's also this new thing of, um, I mean, not to uh, not to knock the the generation after us, but um, <laughs> of, of kids like flipping clothes on on TikTok, right? Not just like flipping them in terms of money, but transforming clothes that they find mm-hmm. into um, you know cute little outfits. And so you have a bunch of these you know pretty small girls buying plus size clothing in thrift stores and making like you know mm-hmm. just tiny, tiny pieces out of them and yeah. inspiring, you know, their million followers to go and just decimate mm-hmm. thrift yeah. stores and take yeah. all the plus stuff because it's a lot of fabric, you know, yeah. there's a lot of stuff you can work with. Yeah, yeah. I'll try them in yeah. on that. Can I get out of this one pair of pants? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And as a plus size, <laughs> yeah, as a plus size shopper, going to the thrift store to find vintage clothing in general is next to impossible. Yeah. Next to impossible. And now knowing that there are people buying the clothing that would fit my body in the way it's supposed to, to make either oversized sweaters or crop tops or things like that and break it down into other pieces is just like, well, there's that other thing that's kind of removed from my deck of cards. Like is the way it feels right. And it's, it's just, and I, I have never been able to really shop for vintage clothing or clothing in general at a thrift store because of that. Right. And they also older clothing, like, Vintage clothing made for fat people was never meant to make a fat person look good. Mm. This has only started to happen within the last several years. I mean, it goes all the way back to advertising with even vintage patterns of like, don't wear this, don't wear this, yeah. you know, if you yeah. look like this or you look like that. So I, I am happy to see this shift in things happening, right? And to see people, but it's like, yeah, you got to be conscious of that, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And that being said, I am totally worth, I will totally pay for somebody who did find an item in a thrift store and fix it up and make it usable again. Like Uh if it's a pair of shoes that needed to be re um, sold or like, you know, restitch or anything, I will pay you to fix those Mm -hmm. because I don't know how to do that. Yeah. And like with Josie doing her clothing, it's like, yes, I will totally pay the money for those kind of items because it's something I could never do. Yeah. We're just getting all the way into it. I know. Um, But yeah, uh, what you said about advertising is so true. You know, I have all these vintage patterns and I buy them in my size. Um, but even then, like just the, the art on them, right. The, the images of, of the women modeling the clothes and it's all illustration. Their waists are smaller than their heads. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the clothes, you know, it's a rat. Like when you, when I make it, it's a rational size, you know, it's, right. it's proportionate, but the advertising is just insane. And it, yeah, it always kind of blows me away, you know, like the, I guess not really, I guess the older you get right and you realize the world and whatever else. <laughs> But it always, it's just this like personification of like this white housewife that's like just happy to be here and like making brownies and has this beautiful dress on. But I do love that um, people are remaking to combat fast fashion to Mm -hmm. make these patterns out of vintage fabrics or even new fabrics, right? To bring those silhouettes back and then adapting patterns is also this cool thing that's happening. This, um, a cool thing that you can do here in LA and probably other large cities is, you know, if, if they have a fashion district, there's just warehouses and warehouses of dead stock fabric that's just sitting there. It's bound for the landfill and you can get just rolls and rolls of pretty cool stuff. It's too bad we don't have something like that here. We'll never have that. Don't, don't say never. Maybe there's one in Salt Lake. You never know. Uh... Well, okay. I will say we kind of do have it here because of the predominant religion here. There is lots of crafting and sewing. Right, right. So there are lots of estate sales that you go to and there it's like are. a fill a bag of fabric for like $5. And it's like a garbage bag. Yes, that is true. So, and I found... We don't have here. <laughs> see? This the that... Okay, see, is that true? It balances, yeah. it balances. Yeah. Do yeah. you only use like, are you just doing vintage and in like sewing patterns for clothing or do you do kind of all sorts of patterns? No, so I, I have just vintage patterns from, I would say the fifties to about the seventies, just because that's sort of my area of interest. Um, and I'm teaching myself, you know, I'm learning as I go. I'm, I, I, I have a dream one day of, of being able to sew for others, but as it stands now, I only know how to do it for myself because I'm able to fit myself and adjust where I need to. And I don't know how to scale patterns up or down yet. Um, but that's, that's the the end goal, I think. Oh, that's cool. And yeah, it is like primarily that. vintage uh, fabrics. It's primarily vintage um, patterns as well. So when you start with a pattern and you just start it, are, are you finding out that the measurements are way off compared to like modern sizing. modern sizing? So I don't think the measurements are way off because they're still made for human bodies, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of what the, what the advertising is showing you. Um, but the fit is very different. You know, we, we like loose clothing now. We like to be comfortable and... Um, you know, our lives are such that we have to move around a lot. We're always hustling between work and errands and school mm-hmm. and family. Um, and back then, you know, you could sort of <laughs> be restricted in your clothing, right? You yeah. were a housewife. Mm-hmm. You were, um, people wore uh, shapewear underneath, yeah. you know, so it's, it's sort of fitted for um, that t- type of silhouette. Mm-hmm. And that that changes over time in vintage patterns too. Like in the 50s, obviously, like everything was 
was pretty fitted. Um, there was no room to really move. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you get into, I would say the mid sixties, um, where everything becomes more quote unquote youthful and, uh, playful, you sort of start thinking about, you know, what does clothing allow you to do? Right. And, and the silhouettes become much more, um, forgiving. Yeah. Lots of A-line shapes, lots of wide leg and, you know, heavy vests and things like that. that are Yeah. And that was true for, for, you know, the late sixties into the seventies when, you know, economically, um, we started getting away from certain fabrics too. So in the seventies, when, um, when there was a little bit of austerity, you start seeing polyester that has a little bit of stretch, um, that doesn't really, um, wrinkle that, you know, you can wash it in a washing Mm -hmm. machine versus having to have it dry cleaned. Um, because people's lives just called for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have the movement to also feminism, right? And mm-hmm. now women are like, I'm not ironing shit. I'm not. Yeah. 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 I'm going to so work. It's really interesting to see how, how the textile informs the, the silhouette and how mm-hmm. the silhouette informs, you know, what's available to make. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know that I've ever put two and two together like that, but of course it shifts. And then you get into the eighties and it becomes its own monster, right? fashion yeah. just kind of I really wish hoping most of those fashions weren't going to come back. They're here. They're here. Well, we did have the resurgence of the 80s, but it's also interesting that what what happens is you have the loop, right? So the 70s, you had that Bonnie and Clyde movie with um Warren Beatty, right? Oh, yeah. And uh God, who else was it? Faye Dunaway, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of 30s, like 70s does 30s. There was like a lot of Art Nouveau, um, the platform shoe even, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not a 70s invention. It was way earlier. And then it sort of started going decade by decade, right? Like the 80s to the 40s with the peplums and the shoulder pads. And, you know, there was that weird period in the 90s where we were all into swing dancing. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um and it's, I, I feel like the, the loop has kind of ended. We're at the, um, we're at the end of the line here. Y2K is back. And then what the hell yeah. happens after that? <laughs> I don't know, but I hate walking into a store now and being like, I remember being so itchy in that fabric as a kid <laughs> or like I, and then I'll have like, there's a girl that I work with who is, she's 20 and she was at our Christmas party last night wearing the Twilight DVD Mod Podge earrings. Shut up. And like what? that's she's like loves Twilight, like finding stuff on eBay about. And I'm like, bitch, if I would have known that this was going to be oh. your thing or she'll wear like she was wearing something the other day. And I was like, I think I had that when I was a child. Oh, it's I see that a back, lot. Yeah. Well, and then like when I, we during our procedures, we'll ask patients, you know, what kind of music do you want to listen to? And they're like, oh, the oldies. And I'm like, OK, so like 50s. And they're like, no, 90s rap. And I'm like. Pull the phone. Yep. Yeah, that stuff's on nineties on a uh, vintage yeah. stations now. Yeah, it's very. Uh, and I grew up. My mom is a sewer, right? I have a needle and thread and a bobbin thing for my mom, and I grew up with her making stuff in the house. Um, she was a stay-at-home mom, and then I grew up like with pattern making, right? And like my mom making a lot of my clothing growing up, these dresses and all of these things. So I and it's funny, right? My mom is pretty type a and like i barely learned how to sew from her <laughs> so now when yeah. i sew something i'm like mom will you help me and she's like oh, didn't i teach you this and i'm like i just look at her yeah so so my mom sewed too um but she would make us like you know pajama pants or halloween costumes um but not everyday clothing because she wasn't formally trained and so she kind of just made patterns mm-hmm 
by, I don't know if you call it by ear or by eye, right. um, but you know, I, I had asked her to, to teach me to sew, but she felt like she lacked the formal training to do so. I kind of had to just, you know, figure it out on my own. Mm-hmm. And I do have family um, that, that did study, you know, pattern making and sewing. I had an aunt who was a very, um, very, very accomplished seamstress, but wow. my mom, again, again, you know, her whole, her whole life and background sort of growing up on the farm mm-hmm. and, and her mother before her and her mo- mother before her, these were just skills that you had in your tool belt. Mm-hmm. You yeah. just kind of had them to mend and make- know how to teach someone else how to create a pattern or how to scale a pattern mm-hmm. or, you know, yeah, it was what, what you needed to exist. Right. Mm-hmm. To make the things you had work well for you. Yeah, and it's the same thing when I ask her for a Romanian recipe. She'll be like, I don't know what do you put a little of this, you put a little of that. She she couldn't tell me the 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 measurements of anything. And mm-hmm. for a long time I thought she was just like holding on to her secrets, but I don't know, something changed. And I think maybe maybe um, maybe it does to all of us where you know something clicks, we start learning how to cook. And now I cook the same way. It's like I do too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you make this? I don't know. I just threw in some of this, threw in some of that. And it's got kind of like kitchen alchemy. Yeah. Which- it's like, you just know. When yeah. You're like, it's intuitive. You just, yeah. It's intuitive. And I mean, I feel like since I've lost my taste and smell, it almost has like, I was afraid it was like bad. So I'd like barely season anything because mm. I did not want to poison my family. <laughs> and then my husband was like, well, I could use a little more of this. And now it's like, I just, I can, I just know. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, it tastes great. What did you do? And I'm like, I don't know. Good we don't know if we'll be able to do that again, but I'm glad you enjoyed it this time. Do my best. <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, so working through these patterns and these things. So there's there's a move that you had that I want to know, like, was the pattern making thing before or after New York or during your living there and being here? It was after. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of collecting and a lot of what I do now that I could only do here because our space was so limited in New York. Right. Um, you know, I lived in a pretty, I wouldn't say tiny apartment because for New York, it wasn't that tiny, but it was one of those situations where, you know, you have the triangle. Can you have it big? Can you have it close to the train or can you have it cheap? And you can only have two of those things. Mm. And so we lived in Crown Heights. We had a little bit more space, but we were sort of further out from the train and further out from things that I needed to get to. And so, you know, time was the, um, was the compromise there. But at the same time, you know, both my husband and I were working from home. Um, I was doing sort of just website management um, and web stuff, and he was an audio engineer. So the things that he needed for his work were not ephemeral. You know, he had amps, he had keyboards, he had speakers, um, all in our tiny apartment in the living room. Oh, dear. And so there was, you know, there wasn't a lot of room for collecting, and there certainly wasn't room to make stuff, you know, to set out. Um, a making station, have mm-hmm. a sewing machine, yeah. even unfold patterns. There was very yeah. little room. Yeah, that compromise is great, right? To like pick a pick a hobby based on the area that you're existing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, we were also we were mostly freelancing at the time. And because we had to jump from job to job, there, you know, wasn't a lot of time mm-hmm. for hobbies. And because the commutes too were were so much on the train. Um and the the uh, train system there is is crumbling, and so you'd get on the train would stop. You'd have to wait. You know, oh, God. Um, there wasn't a lot of in between time to yeah. to just enjoy or you know explore a new hobby and, and practice and get good at it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I mean, I don't know if this is the case for you too, but like early on in my married life and adult life, there was also not a ton of expendable income to like dive mm-hmm. 
head first into a hobby or a craft or yeah. collecting in general. A lot of what I was buying was fully just necessity and to fill a gap that was yeah. missing. So yeah. when you Same moved here. back across country, I was, I saw it, I think on Instagram, it was interesting to hear that you kind of restarted your collections. Like you kind of were able to start fresh. Yeah. So, um, you know, when, when you live in New York, first of all, you're kind of limited by just travel. We didn't have a car. Um, and the trains only took you so far in the city. So, you know, you'd have the thrift stores that you could maybe find stuff in. And every now and then we went out of town, you know, we rented a car and went to antique malls, but the things that we were able to find there were so much older, mm -hmm. right? Cause you're, you know, you're in Pennsylvania, you're in Rhode Island or Connecticut where the stuff is really, really cool, but it's, you know, 19th century, 18th earlier, even mm -hmm. from like the first settlers of those spaces. And, and my collecting interests, you didn't see too much of it, right? Like the mid-century stuff. But here, it's its kind of available again. And we're able to go much further with the car. Like sometimes I'll just I'll hop in the car and just drive around for no reason like a dad. <laughs> right? Like, I love that. You know, you know that. Like your dad, <laughs> growing up, they just get in the car. Let's go for a drive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I do sometimes. I just go for a drive and, and I, you know... I can find something if I want to. Yeah, which is, you know, when you live in a kind of an expansive part of the country, right? Idaho is similar to that of like, it's not super old and it's the same thing of finding stuff from the mid-century here versus the really old 19th century stuff. But yeah, lots of that that you can go. And then if some if it's 40 minutes away, you're just like, oh, okay, well, we'll go get that and then bring it yeah, back home. Yeah. Which feels, it gets me in trouble sometimes, but... Um, well, and I, I also feel too, like the, the California, Southern California picking and finding mid-century because mid-century is still very much having its moment. In yeah. And that's, and that's another thing too, that inspires it, right? Like the palette of California is much different than, mm -hmm. than New York, um, you know, color architecture. It's, it's a lot different than, and, and New York is beautiful. Like I loved, I love New York, but you know, it, it, the architecture didn't speak to me in the way that this hodgepodge of, you know, you have the, either the craftsmen's or the dingbats or, you know, all of these different styles coexisting in one place. And they all just seem so happy. And um, in New York, it was, it was stunning, beautiful, but very homogenous, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot to be inspired by, at least personally here. Yeah. And I will, I would agree with that because yeah, New York is very much old world, right? Like, you have these big, tall brick buildings and that ornate kind of carved stonework and big, you know, stairwells and all of those things. But yeah, going and then California is just brighter in general, right? So much more yeah. light and it's warm. And I think that dictates. I mean, you look at Palm Springs, right? And the oasis they were trying to create there. At oh, that yeah. Time. You know, that's our, that's our little vacation spot. Oh, that's, we're going. See, probably the week after Christmas, I have a, a trip planned to Palm Springs. So hoping to find some cool stuff then. I've never been to Palm Springs. Do you guys go to thrift? Do you go to do... We just go to relax. <sighs> we, I mean, I will say that, I mean, there are, there are stores. Um, they are a little bit pricier um, mm -hmm. because it is a, a very, um, it's a destination and it's a very curated space when you get into one. But um, the stuff that you can find is incredible if, you know, afford it. Do you rent like a house when you guys go like an Airbnb? No, we stay at hotels. Okay. So yeah. yeah. Like what is this? We're staying like? at this, um, <laughs> we're staying at like a Tiki hotel this time that we hadn't stayed at before. 
obsessed. Uh, let me see what it's, I think it's called like Caliente Palms or something. We're going. Cali- Caliente Tropics. Oh my <gasps> Even gosh. better. Yeah. I love oh my gosh. I want to go. Tell them yeah. So we try to, we try to find like a new one every time to sort of experience the different places. I love that because that's what we try to do. Cause we don't, when we take va- family vacations, we try to go somewhere different, but if we go to the same area, we try to go different. Mm-hmm. Like if we're in the Northern area, we'll try to go Southern or something mm-hmm. like that because certain like big cities, it's like, you can't do it in one trip. You have to right. break it up. Do yeah. You- I've actually never done Airbnb. Oh. Um, I'm, I love road trips. I'm really into roadside culture. And I think there's just something very charismatic about like oh, yeah. the, the mystery of, mm-hmm. of staying at a place that's unfamiliar to you. That's just meant for, you know, itinerant travelers. Yeah. I do love that too. And then I always love looking at a town and being like, is this how the people that live here see this? Or is this just through mm-hmm. my tourist rosy glasses? Yeah. When my best friend and I, uh, when we go to um, anywhere, we just drive around and it's a venture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like my husband and her husband gets very worried when we are gone for a while. <laughs> They're like, where are you? And I'm like, I'm not really sure. We will make it back sometime. One time we drove from the like Spokane area all the way down to Boise. So like straight down the middle of the state. Whoa. And because uh, she was going to college and we were coming back down and we would just take these little, ro- I'm like, what's down this road? And we'd go. Mm-hmm. And one time we found, like, we just kept going and it was paved road. And then it turned into a dirt road. And then at the very end was this, like, very simple white church. Oh, dear. And so we kind of stopped. And that movie Jeepers Creepers uh-huh. had just barely come out around that time. Or is popular again. Scary movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, scary. <laughs> and so we got out and it's like, oh, wow, this is so cool. Because they had, like... I can't remember. There's like little statues of like cherubs and all that kind of stuff. And we were walking around and I just kind of stopped. And so did she. And I was like, did it get really quiet? Oh, dear. No <laughs> and she was like, yep. And I was like, back in the car. And we just like hauled it out of there. Mm-mm. But we do that all the time. And my husband's just like, you know, one day you're going to get kidnapped, but then they're going to return you because you will annoy the shit out of them. We don't want this one. Throw it back. I'll be asking <laughs> questions. Yeah. So do you and your husband's interests align with what you like to collect? Is it a tandem effort? I wouldn't say that he's a collector, but he likes the stuff that I collect. And so it gives me a lot of freedom to um, go wild. Yeah, that's my husband too. There's things he likes, but there's also, he's like, I don't understand that. I'm like, it's fine. Yeah. And and the the cool thing is, is that he does enjoy um, the hunt. He likes to, he likes to wander thrift stores. He likes to wander antique malls with me and, um, you know, he does find stuff that that he's into. He doesn't, you know, collect it obsessively. He doesn't need to find like version A, B, and C of a thing he already has, like I do. Mm-hmm. But um, he has this really incredible find that um, when we first moved here, we went to this really cute uh, antique mall in Orange, California, which is uh, near Disneyland, um, and it ended up being like one of our favorite spots. He found, oh my god, I want to call it like a folk art painting. Um, it's, I want to say from the eighties, it's uh, a, a replica of a photograph of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. <laughs> and it's just so weird. Like it's, I, I've tried to figure out the name of the person who signed it so that I could, you know, right. see if I can find anything on him online, but it's, you know, it, and it's so, it's so charismatic because it's someone who clearly didn't know how to paint. 
um, but really <laughs> wanted to. And so there's like, there's no, there's no depth, to, you know, like the faces are just kind of flat. The perspective is their bodies are so strange because there's no understanding of perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just such a cool object. Um, you know, as a basketball fan myself and I, it, like he, he found this thing and I said, you, you have, this is not going up in the house. Um, <laughs> you, you're, well, you're welcome to keep it, um, in a closet somewhere. But then we ended up, you know, once the COVID hit, we needed, um, more space. We needed an extra room for him to have his audio studio in and it lives there now on the wall. And I, <laughs> and I do love visiting with it cause it's so strange. Oh, I love that. And so weird, but also like, it's a very, if you're, if you're a basketball fan, it's a very famous image. Like you would have seen it. Yeah. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about as soon as you get that. Yeah, like they're blocking each other. It's a moment in time. um, And it's really cool to see just like this one random guy's interpretation experience of it. (laughs) Like he was so moved by it that he just, he had to create (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my God. We were, yeah, we grew, uh, I grew up watching basketball. It was like always on in our house and we were Chicago Bulls fans. So it was like, my brother had like the commemorative cards and coins and like, that was all we did was watch. Yeah. Basketball. See if you're from, and, and same here, if you're from a basketball town, like if you have a good team, like you're going to be a basketball fan. Yeah. yeah. You guys had Jordan, you know, mm-hmm. I, um, I sort of grew up in like the, the Lakers, one of their dynasty seasons, right? So we had mm-hmm. Kobe, we had Shaq, we had that whole like I think three years in a row they won the championships, and so you got the parades in town, and oh, cool. You can't not be into it. No, it was between. So we the closest one to us is the Utah Jazz. Okay, and so we would have these basketball camps growing up, where like a jazz player or a basketball player would come up to Idaho. Oh, really? And have like all the kids, you'd show up and it was a basketball camp and you just yeah. go. And then yeah, if yeah. you played jazz basketball, which was the youth basketball, like the YMCA, oh, okay. you would get free tickets to the jazz game. But we never went. That never happened. But you'd have free tickets <laughs> and then you could go. Huh. But yeah, it was Utah Jazz and then Chicago Bulls. And we all played basketball growing up and we had a uh, hoop and like all that stuff. And yeah, it was very fun. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, so I know as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. You know the image. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll have to send you. I'll send you a photo of it. It's- yes, please do. Because we need to see. I love that. weird art like that. I love, I love weird art. And you have some specific like 70s art that I love with the big eyes and the bright colors. Oh, is it right there? Let's see. Let's see how far this will. Yep. Oh. There they are. Wow. Yeah, so these are sort of like they're they're assemblages, and so they're the little dresses are paper mache, and the outline of them is some sort of like gold yarn, and then this is all crumpled tissue that's um, wow, that's painted that sort of like gold coppery color. So there's a lot of texture to it. It's really cool. It's so cute. I love. And these are also just signed by by someone I don't know. I've looked up the artist. I can't. This I've. I want to assume it's just somebody who made these in their own time for whatever oh. reason. They're amazing. Right. There's like um, and I had watched these for the longest time. They were um, cross-listed on Etsy and on eBay. And I just, they were a lot. I couldn't, I couldn't justify it. And then, you know, I watched them. I, I want, you know, cause you always wonder like, is this going to be one of those things that if it sells, it haunts me forever. I'm mm-hmm. sure you guys have that feeling. Um, and one day, because I was, I, I would check in on them every once in a while, my little big eyed girls, the guy slashed the price by half. <gasps> and it was, it was within a range that I felt comfortable paying. And so I, I bought them immediately and here they are. Oh, 
I love that. I uh, have had like that similar things right happen with things, but I didn't really collect any art until we started the show. And there's this piece that we found. Speaking of maybe just being made weird out of weird things, right? I found this floral and mushroom scene from the 70s. It's in a yellow frame and it's like sticks two inches out. And it, all of the flower petals are textured, right? And I thought they were little strips of leather that had been bent. Okay. And then I finally looked up the artist's signature. It's signed. I can't think of her name right now. But it's not leather. It's cut eggshells. Oh, interesting. So she wow. would cut the eggshells into these petal shapes. And she did a whole series of like oil and acrylic paintings huh. with eggshells. And these are, are these 70s? Yeah. Okay. She's yeah, still there alive. A, there was a big craft movement at the time. Yeah. Um, I worked at the American Folk Art Museum in New York for a little while, and they actually had um, a program at NYU, a folk art study course that would sort of funnel you into the museum field based on that, wow. um, based on that area of, of art. Yeah. Wow. Let's I mean, talk about this job. Yeah. Well, so... Okay, so explain, I guess, for the layman's me, what is specifically American folk art? Oh, that is such a tough, that's a loaded question. Is that loaded? (laughs) If you ask, yeah, and it's loaded specifically if you ask museum people because, um, you know, craft is a pejorative, right? It it sort of says that it has less value than Mm -hmm. than fine art, than, um, you know, art that was made in institutions or for institutions or in the art world. Um, It's it's material culture. It's yeah. stuff that people made with their hands that either was decorative or that served a purpose. Um, but um, folk art is, is it's an ever changing and, and hard to define thing. Yeah. And we had first learned I, my like long list of Holy grails just keeps growing. But the one that it will always sit at the top is tramp art for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tramp we had art. a lot of that in the collection. <sighs> So did you work as a curator or on the website or? I was their social media manager for about a year and a half. Yeah. Before. And that was my last job in New York before I moved here. Oh, that sounds so interesting. It was really cool. And and the really cool thing about it is that we, um, you know, the museum was in Lincoln Square and it was a pretty small space. So every now and then you'd get to go into the collection and just... Spend uh, some time there. Look around. I got to add that to yeah. my list of places. Collection and oh, yeah. Because even, yeah, dude, not only the collection, but the archives, right, of museums mm-hmm. are so rich with that. And to just have one specifically for American folk art sounds. Do you have folk art that you collect now? Or was it because you were so inundated with it? You kind of are choosing. I, I don't have folk art that I collect now. Like my my interests are are much later yeah. than than stick that. with um, your, your 67. But I, yeah, but I am really into material culture and, and things that people clearly made, like the, like the Larry Bird um, <laughs> portrait. Um, yeah, it's, there's something very charismatic about it because mm-hmm. you can see sort of someone's handprint, you know, and you yeah. can imagine yourself making something like it. Um, and, and I think it's to a lot of people. I have this bag that was definitely a part of that movement, right, of hand making things. And it's this, bright green handled with some swirls yarn <laughs> circle bag so it's got all of these plastic circles that have been covered and crocheted in yarn and they're orange in that 70s green the one i carry oh, all the time yes and it's like the size of a tote bag but it's definitely handmade and i yeah. just imagine somebody's aunt like sitting in her bedroom just like 
tirelessly working on this bag to carry it around. And then I, yeah. And it, and it would have been an ant, right. And that's another thing about, you know, the sort of definition is a lot of this stuff was women's work, mm-hmm. you know, the samplers, the sewing, the quilts, these incredible, incredible works of art that sort of get relegated into this category that is not as respected mm-hmm. as, you know, fine art, sculpture, painting, um, because it was lay people just sitting at home and doing it. Mm-hmm. And women, right? Lay people. And, and women. women, exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of that. Yeah. Thing. There's this great book that we had in the, in the library there called Anonymous Was a Woman. Um, and the whole theory behind it is when you see a work of art that's, you know, credited to anonymous, like who are all these hidden women? Who are these right. anonymous women throughout history who didn't get credit for their work because they weren't seen as artists? Mm-hmm. Which isn't the, the big eye um, artist, wasn't she originally? Margaret Keene. There you go. Yeah. And her husband yeah. <laughs> took credit. Took There's all film, of her. Right? Yeah. Oh my God. I could really sit here and talk forever more about all of these things. Cause this yeah, is. Yeah, we should do it again. Please. Oh, <laughs> yes. We, we have will. to. I love when uh, we have a guest on and then we're like, oh my God, they know so much about so many cool things. Um, but we do have to get into our next favorite part but before we do that where can our listeners find your delightful collections yeah so um i am mostly on instagram is where i post and the handle is lula l-u-l-a dot of dot hollywood um it's where i live it's my nickname that my dad gave me as a kid um so yeah Uh, it's lula i love that name cute i didn't know it was a nickname oh my yeah. god i love that please go look at our stuff because not only are you like super talented mm-hmm. photographer your like taste and what the way you have curated your space to be very specific to your taste is so artfully done it's thank you. gorgeous thank you i appreciate and it and you can see the, um, the green goblets with the skeleton friends of meredith's yep those are there <laughs> those are part of my my halloween uh content um and i will say that also you know the there's a lot of color here, obviously. It's very bright. It's very cheery. Um, and definitely come for that. But I want to explain that a little bit. Is like, I'm not, I'm a naturally pretty pessimistic person. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to work. I have to work at it to not, you know, mm-hmm. see the dark side of things. Um, and there's a value, I think, to seeing the dark side of things. I think it's something that's, that's worth um, exploring and sitting with for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But it does help. To have to be surrounded by things that are, you know, a little bit more cheery to sort of balance out the two because I can very easily um, go to a dark place and just be consumed by those thoughts. For mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that is why um, my kitchen is so bright and I have all my favorite stupid little idiots in there. Cause it's, <laughs> yeah. And I think yeah. being a creative person too, you know, we kind of go into that. Like, look at, how can you not laugh at this ridiculous psychedelic owl? owl. Oh my God. (laughs) Is he chalkware too or paper mache? Oh my gosh. So cool. He's he's a little bank. Mm -hmm. He's got the. Oh my God. Love him. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of, that's why I collect a lot of stuff too. Is like, I got to have something that's going to produce a little bit of serotonin because mine has to be store bought. Right. Yeah. I, that's why I put so many damn windows in my house because I have got to have the light and. You have. Yeah. And that's another big thing about moving to LA that we didn't have because we lived in one of those huge post-war buildings um, where all of our windows faced in. (sighs) So it was one of those big courtyard buildings. It didn't face out into the street. So we sort of, our view was of like just a brick wall. 
Ugh. 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 Yeah. yeah. I know. I'm like, Ugh, just like shrink yeah. into But myself. I love, thanks for sharing that. I love that that's your reasoning too, to be yeah. like, I got to create some brightness somewhere for this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us do. I mean, I know I do, especially in the winter because I have very bad seasonal depression. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I mean, there's so, a whole psychology to color. Not oh, like to yeah. Make us feel different things. It is the whole thought process behind my house and my husband thought it was crazy, but mm-hmm. it all worked. It all worked out. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. On today's, for those of you that okay, are new well, to Well, it was good it knowing was good you, know you as friend. I'm glad we had this bonding moment before we got <laughs> to here. Uh, yeah, so it was nice. You can send us hate mail to our P.O. box. For those of you that are new to the show, every week on the Mothball Prophecies, we do an imaginary estate sale walkthrough. All of the items exist somewhere in the world, real life, whether it's online, eBay, Etsy, Mercari, wherever. They exist and they are based around the guests of the week's interests and inclinations into the vintage world, which is why Jill gets mad. And each series is up to you to find your loopholes, to find your way, to make it work for you. If you want to cheat, you got to come up with it yourself. We're not going to help you do that. Each scenario has a couple of different options in each one, and you're responsible to pick one and only one. If you think it's your favorite color, it's your favorite color. If you think it's the super rare one, it definitely is. (laughs) If you have to go, is it? Yes, it is. It's been so nice to have a break from this. You're welcome. I'll just start texting them too. Well, we had a, a, somebody had said like, well, what if you did like one where it's like your house is on fire and you have to save your favorite vintage? And I was like, "Uh, that'll end the show. I'm not doing that. (laughs) I'm not doing it. I will die in a fire. (laughs) (laughs) Struck by lightning or your Pyrex collection. Jill go. (laughs) Just kidding. Don't answer it. I will not. She's going to stab me, but she'll fix me too. because She's a nurse. All right. (laughs) Today we are headed to an Eichler house in Orange County. Ooh. Oh, God, I already hate this. You're welcome. Walking through the home's breezeway, we're greeted by plant hangers. I hate you. Do you choose the macrame hanging planter or the bent wood teardrop planter? Talk your shit, Jill. Teardrop, because I have a lot of macrame. Oh. Yeah. I need both. <laughs> I was just, I literally was looking at a macrame. Don't Google oh. things before we hang out. I didn't. I literally was trying to find something because I've got plants I want to hang in my dining room. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and then I was, then I stumbled onto the damn tear. Oh. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but <laughs> what are you picking? Sam? Teardrop. <laughs> Teardrop. Cause I also have macrame. Teardrop. Either guys. Oh, f- it's the holiday season. Shit. I'm going to go. Mac- good choice. Me. It's a good choice. Because it's the one I was looking at. Yeah, exactly the one you were looking at. Oh, God, that gave me heartburn. Off to a good start. All right. The next room we move into while drooling over this beautiful house is the den slash office. And it is set into the built-in bookshelves is a 1960s Joe Colombo cartel plastic lamp, space age, or a striped glass mushroom lamp. Which one? Christine. Fucking hate you! Right now. Oh God! It's been a couple. What? Weeks. What color is the mushroom? Your perfect color. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> God damn it! See? Um, See? Yeah. I mean, oh, <laughs> Colombo is like is the you know the designer. I'm sorry, but the mushroom, but the mushroom is so much more. My style. And it's glass. It's and beautiful. It's glass. Which is one of my collecting 
uh, check boxes as the glass. Oh, okay. And I'm not allowed to buy any more glasses. <laughs> so if I can't drink something out of it, I can I can get the mushroom. There you go. Good job, job. A yep. plus. Final right. answer. Okay, Jill. I'll go first. You think yeah. about it. Good. I am going to go. I, I fell in love with cartel stuff when I used to go stay with Carrie. So I'm going to go with the cartel lamp because it's just so fucking Here's cool. the thing. I can find a place for both those that mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, it looks like you. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. I'm going to. Mm-hmm. It's I already, so cool. I already. While you're listening to this, go look that up right now. Go Google. Please do. Joe Colombo cartel plastic anything. Yeah. And it's the fucking coolest stuff. So cool. All right. I really honestly thought these first two would be like softball questions and not knee breakers. So I am especially sorry for the last one. I did not. In- I was like, these are great. These are simple. Tro- nope. I'm sorry. No. Last stop is the master bedroom. This estate sale company has made quite an error by listing these pieces far below market value. Ooh, we love that kind of error. They're not full sets. They are pieces of the Poochie Branis hostess pieces. From the brand, if this was on Christina's Holy Grail list, there are a perfectly preserved pair of tights or a hostess hat and headscarf. Oh, this one's easy. Which do you choose? <sighs> this one I feel bad for. The headscarf. <gasps> I can accessorize it with more things. Ooh. Yeah. See, the same because I hate tights. Me too, Jill. I'm wearing yeah. a pair of tights. They did not make tights for girls with thighs. No, okay? not until now. <laughs> I am also going to go with a head scarf and hat because I wear a hat all the time. I have a head scarf in today. You're going to have to teach me how to do the head scarf thing. I should just make a video about it. It's you my should, go-to hairstyle. I cannot get it yeah, to do a tutorial. stay on my head. Mm-hmm. too. Um, okay, good. I'm glad that last one was not a knee breaker. Like, oh yeah. Two. I mean, our friendship is back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm glad. I'm glad we didn't lose too many things, limbs or fluids. <laughs> glad it was good. <laughs> it's a good thing you're doing my hair layer. That's the only thing saving. It is. It is. <laughs> um, Christina, this was delightful. Oh, this was so much fun. Seriously, I, I agree. It was so wonderful to talk to you guys. And I can't wait to see uh, the pictures you send over about these beautiful collections. I can't wait to share this and. I just love what you're doing. I love all of it. I yeah. love every. And Thank every. you. Thank you guys so much for what you do. I, I, you know, there's obviously there's a move now towards sustainability after all this time that we've had mm-hmm. in quarantine and people are learning how to make things and discovering, you know, what they like to surround themselves with since we've spent so much more time in our homes. Um, mm-hmm. And you guys are sort of a guiding light for a lot of people. In that. Yeah. Thanks. We try. Yeah, definitely shifted our perspective on the things I have in my house and the choices I make. And for sure, yeah, definitely lean into the bright, happy, stupid shit you want to look at all the time and just put it up. Yeah, put it up. Thank you so much. This was just marvelous. Like I said, can't wait. And to hear even more about the items we talk about today with Christina, stick around for this week's Curio Corner. It was just, it was so delightful to finally sit down with her. I've interacted like on Instagram. We met at the flea market and it was, first of all, it's so nice to interview somebody else that does interviews. Not saying that anybody else that has done an interview has done a bad job, but there's a certain je ne sais quoi with other people that do interviews that know like, you want all this answer out of me here? I'm going to lead us into the next thing. Does that sound bad? I know. It just made it so 
easy. Yeah. And then like at one point it was like, wait a minute, what just happened? I know. How did we get here? I felt like and then I wanted to be like, I just want to be like, you're good. You're good. Yeah. You're good. That's how I felt. I was like, <laughs> oh, hold on. Hold on a minute. And then I'm like, God, this is amateur hour for me. So thanks, guys. I guess, I guess a better way to phrase it would be the cadence is different when when you interview somebody that does interviews a lot versus just interviewing somebody else, right? That doesn't ever do interviews. Like it's just a normal conversation. They're just answering what they think. Yeah. And like she was like, she it's not I'm not saying nobody's prepared or anything, but no. she wasn't as nervous as some of our others that have never because mm-hmm. we always get before um, we interview anybody there. And I would be the same way. Like, I don't have anything to say. I don't yeah. know why you guys are interviewing me. Mm-hmm. But she like knew exactly what we wanted to know. And mm-hmm. she was excited to talk about all her darling stuff. Like, oh, and so much, you know, I was really inspired, too, because like she was saying it during her interview that. They have a smaller space, right? It's bigger than what they had on the East Coast, but it is still smaller. And I liked the conscious effort to make it really well curated and yeah. really meaningful. There was an article or a Instagram post or something I'd come across before we interviewed her. And she was talking about this specifically, kind of recurating her collections and how it was freeing to start over in California and pick up some really quality pieces. And there's times that I, I, there's times now, and I don't, I've talked about it a lot at work with my clients that ask how the show's going and all of this. They'll ask, you know, like, well, have your taste changed or has it gotten worse? And I'm like, it's just kind of gotten to where like, I realize there's not as much feast and famine as I thought there was with vintage. You know, like if I, if we would have gone to that flea market in California before we started the show, we would have walked out with like boatloads of stuff. Oh, yeah. We would have been like, how the fuck are we going to get this all home? Yeah. And now it's like, okay, yes, I that piece, that's a really great price for that. But I know I'm going to come across something that's not in as rough of shape. And now I really am getting an understanding of what is rare, what is more quality in the things that I want to collect. Yeah. And I think uh, I think every collector goes through that in some form. I mean, myself, I... I've really narrowed it down to like now when people ask me, Oh, what do you collect? Mm -hmm. I can specifically say, you know, Pyrex, um, Ellie Smith glassware and brass animals Mm -hmm. before it was like, Oh, you know, like a little, this, little, that, that, yeah. Yeah. I would like to say that I also have an answer for that, but (laughs) I don't, um, if anything, it's kind of moved me away from the stuff I always thought I was going to collect and pushed me into like, I just feel like I constantly collect like misfit vintage. Yeah, I would say that. I would say that's on point. Yeah, like you like, definitely would go like you, <laughs> you get the small little creatures that, you know, will mm-hmm. never have a home mm-hmm. and you bring them into your home. Yeah. But I mean, it works though. Hey, like, it works. For they're me. like little, um, what do they call them? Little Mickey's hidden Mickey's like, cause you never know where you're going to find them. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, Oh, look at that stupid little idiot. It's a stupid little idiot. Yeah. And my house is, uh, this is the revelation of, I'm still putting my Christmas out. All right. Let's not talk about it. I'm working a lot right now. And I opened my other tub and opened it. <laughs> I had forgotten how much vintage Christmas I had found last year. And when I opened this tub, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I just put the lid back <laughs> on it. 
I was like, oh, right, right, right. I re- Okay. And my son was in the living room with me. And he's like, let's get this. And I was like, not this tub. Nah, no. Nope. I know. I did not realize I had so many vintage glass ornaments. And then I was like, half of them are like not even in good shape. And I'm like, why, why did I? What was I thinking? Like what? Mm-hmm. I was like trying to think, what did past Jill think? When she saw that, because present Jill is thinking, what the shit am I going to do with this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah. That's, (laughs) I'm just going to start saying that twice. This is a future Sam problem. Yeah. I mean, that's true Mm -hmm. because I don't want to deal with it right now. I'm too busy. Same. Too busy. It's busy. Speaking of that, we made mention, uh, was it last episode? Or a couple episodes ago where we said, if you know a hairdresser or a nurse, what they really want from you is a Starbucks gift card, right? They don't want anything else. In jest, right? We're laughing. Today, one of my longtime clients, Lynn, if you're listening, hi, Lynn, love you. She comes in and we do her hair and I adore her. I've done her hair for several years and she listens to the show and we talk. So now we talk vintage, right? When she comes in about new things we're finding and we're getting ready. I'm checking her out and booking her next appointment. She goes, and since you asked... If you knew a hairdresser or a nurse, here you go. Oh. And handed me a gift card to Starbucks. Oh. And she says, since you asked for it, I had to bring it. And I was just like, this is so nice, Lynn. This is so fucking nice and so sweet. She goes, so there you go. Now you know that one of your clients listens to your show. And I was like, I know you listen to my show. This is too fucking nice. Oh, so, that's so sweet. So and, and she slides it across the counter to me. I see the amount on it. And that's why I said, this is too fucking nice because it was a $50 Starbucks gift card. Oh my hell. And just the nicest fucking gesture. And like when Jill and I travel or when we're getting together, we use those gift cards to get coffee for us and for the show. So they do go to being used. So Lynn, thank you. Yeah. That's so sweet. It's very sweet and just very nice. And I enjoy, I just enjoy her so much and she has some really great stuff that she's gotten from like grandparents and parents and things like that and some teacups and different things and so we always I always just love hearing about the stuff that she has so thanks next I would like a house with five acres and <laughs> I know I'm like what wait a minute next time you see a nurse you should give her <laughs> yeah but it was very nice it was very uh just unexpected and very sweet so I appreciated that. Greatly. That is sweet. Um, we did not really cover uh, many things to go over in the Curio Corner, but we do want to remind you to just Google Instant Ancestors. There are several Instagrams, Etsys, Facebooks. I'm sure Reddit has some great options on that. What a wonderful way to market the old leftover photos, right? That are Well, yeah, because, you know, when they immigrated over here, they, I mean, they'd had nothing. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's like you want pictures of some kind of grandparents Mm -hmm. that may not be yours, but you've saved somebody else's grandparents. Yeah. I had a friend, she had bought a house and she was cleaning out um, the basement and all that kind of stuff. And they had, she's, she calls it her Harry Potter room because it was a room under the stairs. Mm -hmm. And um, she had opened it and she just saw like squirrel and mice poop and like, but she was just like, I'm not going in here. And so she came back with like a hazmat suit on pretty much. (laughs) And she found boxes like tucked way in the back. Wow. 
And she opened it and it was filled with all family pictures. And she just was like, I found all these. I was like, you got to call the family. I was like, you got to at least see if they want those. Mm -hmm. And so she did. And they didn't even realize that they left them behind. Can you imagine how often that happens, right? You just. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. When we when we moved out of our um, old house, I know we got everything, but I kept going through every closet just because I was like, Mm -hmm. I didn't forget anything. And even now I'll be looking for something and I'll be like, I don't, where did, what did I do with that? Where did it's lost to the sands of time forever. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I always, um, in this house that we live in now, cause it is older, right? It's built in the fifties. I like still haven't looked at my attic yet because it's a pain in the ass to get to. Um, but I'm, I always am like, just have this imagination that there's a trunk full of shit up there and it's, there's no way my attic's not that big, but (laughs) In my brain, that's always an option of like, I'm going to find some stuff in walls or like when I looked under the stairs here, I was like pushing shit out of the way and shining a flashlight to be like, is there something hidden under here? Like some kid's old weed or something? Yeah. That's probably a thing. <laughs> probably. I but mean, more than likely. Christina has such a, a varied past of work that she's done, writing articles, interviewing people, her work with the Folk Art Museum, her work with Morbid Anatomy. And I was just so thrilled to like, she has this catalog of talent. So much talent. Mm-hmm, that she's invested into the world of weird and vintage. And Yes. And it was like, it was, she was just so fun to listen to about all her different jobs. Mm-hmm. Because it just was like, it was in the same realm, but just like different aspects. And yeah. so, and then it just like reminds you, like there's a job for everything. Right. Yeah. There's a job for everything. There's a job for something for you to be good at and passionate about and excel at. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, if it's not quite there yet, then just like create it, like make it your reality. Do that thing that you want to do. And yeah. Make it your own. Be selfish about it, you know? Yeah, exactly. You gotta, you gotta do it. And it inspired me too. I always say I'm going to sew, right? I always, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this whole sewing thing. And it really was like, there's so many great vintage patterns, right? And like, I would love to learn how to adapt vintage patterns to modern sizes. Yeah. And to even just make some things for myself, right? It doesn't have to be super fancy, but I love a handmade dress. I love a handmade skirt. And if I yeah. run into any problems, I can call my mom. That's true. You literally have like... An encyclopedia of sewing knowledge mm-hmm. next mm-hmm. to you. I do. If I were to do that, it, there would be nobody. You can call my mom. She would be tickled pink. I probably would call your mom. Mm-hmm. Just be like, Mom, I'd, I sewed my finger to the fabric. Please help. She had that happen <laughs> last year or the year before in one of her classes. Oh, God. Because my mom teaches teen living, which is what it's called now. And it was, and they were like, they were like, Miss, Mrs. Hayes. <laughs> Um, and she was like oh dear um yeah and then they went about there oh god yeah because she learned how to sew i guess i don't know if i've talked about this my grandmother is a very talented seamstress and it's because she grew up with nothing and she would save her money and go buy fabric and then make herself her own clothes and she made her wedding dress that she also wore to a dance and has like always made her own like full ass fancy jackets and coats and blouses and all of these things. And she has sewn on the same sewing machine since the 60s, 50s. 
It's a big ass metal faff sewing machine. Holy crap. And that's what I learned first to start sewing on was sewing the lines of notebook paper at my grandma's house. Oh, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. So the yellow ruled. And you, once you could sew enough lines straight, then you would start at, on the next garment. So that was, and my grandmother still, you know, up until very recently was making her own stuff. There was always like, she would buy pretty upholstery fabric and make a fucking coat out of it because she needed it to match an outfit. I love that. Yeah. I love that so much. Same with jewelry. She would make these huge necklaces, like costume jewelry, but with fine things. So (laughs) that was, but for some reason, nobody taught my ass how to sew all the way. No, I, I just didn't really have patience for it. No, I just, I can't, I don't know. I have to be moving constantly, but not like, like straight line. Uh (laughs) I don't know. I get bored. I just am not a crafter. That's okay. It's fine. I I will pay somebody for their craft because I can't do it. It's okay. It's all right. Um, but if you, you know, vintage patterns are a big thing. And uh, if you ever come across like sealed vintage patterns or factory folded, they're still, you know, put in the package the right way. You can turn those things around. Yeah. And it's, I've been seeing them more and more mm-hmm. popping up like at estate sales and Goodwill and that kind of stuff. So it's, mm-hmm. so grab them guys. Cause then they're cheap right now. Yeah. Probably like another year, they're going to be like 50 bucks a pattern. So don't jinx it. Just, you know, don't jinx it. I'm just warning everybody. I'm being that mom. Thanks. We appreciate it. (laughs) That was all we had for Miss Christina's Curio Corner this week. Uh, Please go look at all of her stuff on Instagram, Lula of Hollywood. We will, of course, have all of those images posted on the mothballprophecies.com as well as the Mothball Prophecies original. If you like the show, please go rate and review or subscribe wherever you listen. We love when you DM us on Instagram or Facebook, wherever, to tell us how you heard about the show and your favorite things about us. It really does warm our heart. And you guys have made Joe cry at least three times, which is a big deal because she doesn't cry. No, and I don't like it. I don't <laughs> like to show my feelings, guys. Sam will like, because I'll be working and she'll just like send me like a picture of it. And I'll be like, why do people so nice? <laughs> And then there's me where I'm like, that person sent a love emoji. Sob. (laughs) It's so easy. I always cry. Uh, Thank you, guys. First of all, I just want to say thank you for being there for us and being so kind, sending us really the nicest messages and the nicest things in the mail. It really blows us back because it's so humbling. And it's so beautiful. And I'm so grateful that we found this collective of vintage weirdos and we are so thankful for each and every one of you that joins in on our bullshit week after week we really (laughs) really appreciate it um right now we want to thank the biggest group of weirdos that has our heart our patreon members uh because of y'all and the vintage sale that we had we were able to upgrade some gear for the show as well as do some important business things behind the scenes and we were just stunned that we were able to do that it was a piece of equipment we've been after for a while so yes it was so nice so be. nice when we finally got like yeah yeah it's just I was like I just said to Jill I was like this is what I ordered so we ordered two new headphones for Jill and I and then we ordered a new piece of audio equipment um, for my my poor little 
sad ear so I can hear everything better and we can have good headphones to use in studio. So thank you. Yes, so thanks, much. Uh, especially thank you to Katrina and Erica in Arizona. Gray in Colorado. Emily and Crystal in Nevada. Ruth in British Columbia. Ruby and Autumn in Ohio. Aaron in Wisconsin. Melissa and RJ in Florida. Gina in South Carolina. Julia in Sweden. Jasmine in Kentucky. Kelly in Illinois. Kyla in Indiana. Kelly, Javier, Shanna, Mandy, and Riley in California. Dina, Betty, Lisa, Aaron, TC Lionel, Melissa, Christina, Becky, and Ashley in Idaho. A big fat fucking thank you to our wonderful team behind the scenes. <laughs> Gray, for all of your support in the audio world, from choices to make and things to buy, as well as just putting my dumb ass in check when I overthink stuff. Thank you. And to spell check for listening to all our bullshit week after week to write up these adorable little blurbs that make me teary-eyed because they're so fucking cute. Perfect every time. Sewing. All of the tote bags that you guys have received in the Patreon are sewn by those two little hot hands. So thank you. Thank you for tuning into our show every week. As always... I hope you find some good shit. And I hope you're remembering to look under those tables. Bye. Yeah.